Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What. Today we've got Andy on and he's an astronomer. Hi Andy. Hello, nice to be here. Pleasure. How are we today? We're doing great. How about yourself? All good, all good. Looking forward to the weekend. Yeah, same. <laughs> um, should we jump straight in then, Andy? Do you want to tell everyone a bit about what you do? Sure. So my name is Andy, uh, and currently I am a full-time research astronomer. Um, but technically, my title is a post-baccalaureate research uh, scholar. Uh, and then in the fall, I'm going to be a full-time PhD student uh, focusing on observational astronomy and big data. So I'm I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a, a space geek for want of a better word a very much an amateur space geek though yeah um and I just I love the whole subject but what was it that got you in into it and was there something in childhood you've always loved the the, the planets and the solar systems or what was it that sparked that kind of oh I really want to do this <laughs> yeah no I love that question um I think for me it was sort of a a pretty interesting path. Uh, so I, when I was a teenager, I used to love photography. Uh, I used to just love the idea of, you know, walking outside and taking pictures of nature. Um, and, you know, eventually I discovered at one point that, you know, you could take long exposure photography of like objects. And, and, and so I wondered once like, well, what would it be like if I took a picture of like the sky? Because, you know, I, you would be able to see like the stars. And so I remember vividly, I took a picture of the stars and I was like, wow, like you could see all these amazing things. <laughs> uh, it really blew my mind. Um, so then eventually I, you know, one thing led to the other and I was starting to take pictures more and more of the night sky. And then I guess I became what you would call like an astrophotographer. I got myself a telescope. Um, but then, you know, it, this sort of curiosity for photography became like more curiosity about space. Um, and so uh, eventually, you know, at one point I went to an observatory uh, where there's, you know, professional astronomers. And I, I just remember this, this one astronomer told me that this is her his full time job. And, and so that for me was the game changer. I was like, wow. So people can get paid to like literally <laughs> look up at the night sky and like ask these amazing questions about, you know, how did the universe come to be and like how did everything around us come to be? So is there a part of astronomy that you're really interested in, maybe a certain subject, something maybe yeah. like exoplanets or, or something, mm -hmm. you know, something specific within the field? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, my sort of background uh, as of right now in terms of research has been mostly around uh, the Milky Way and something, a field called time domain astronomy. So the, the former part for the Milky Way, um, I spent uh, four years doing research in a field called galactic archaeology. So the idea is, you know, like a conventional archaeologist would go and look for fossils of like the history of humanity and understanding the past. Um, a galactic archaeologist uh, studies stars and the composition of stars, how they move and how far away are they from our solar system and sort of understand and building a map of the history of our galaxy, the Milky Way. Um, so it's a really cool field because you get to really like understand the past by looking at the stars. Um, and so that was that was an exceptional uh, research uh, project. Is is that a common uh, route into uh, astronomy? Because we had um, Kirstian Banks on. Um, I don't know if you've seen her on on TikTok. And uh, she does a lot on on lot on yeah. uh, astronomy. She's yeah, really yeah, yeah. she and she came on and she said exactly the same thing. She started mm -hmm. in that that field. I just wondered if that's maybe <laughs> a good way in, or it's just a coincidence. I, I think that's just a strange coincidence, uh, but it's it's a fantastic field. And I think that 
one of the amazing things about galactic archaeology is that this is the time to be studying galactic archaeology because uh, there are so many new telescopes and what we call astronomical surveys that are giving us, for the first time in the history of humanity, the, like the first census of the Milky Way galaxy. Like by the end, I would say in the next uh, maybe like 20, 30 years, we are going to have a complete map of our galaxy. Like oh, wow. we're going to be able to understand what our galaxy looks like from an external perspective. That's incredible. And is, is that there's a new telescope being launched, if I'm, I'm correct, is a bit delayed, but it's going to replace the James Webb. Is that right? Um, oh, it's going to replace the, the Hubble Space Telescope. The Hubble, sorry, be, is yeah. the James Webb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the James Webb Space Telescope is going to be, again, an incredible new uh, telescope, a space telescope. And of course, a bunch of people in the field are really, really excited about it because it will be an extraordinarily powerful telescope. Um, it will be, I always refer to it, it will be the Hubble of our generation. So wow. it, it's just amazing to always talk to astronomers, you know, back in the 90s and early 2000s that were very inspired by the work that the Hubble Space Telescope did. So now this is our generation's turn to have our space telescope. <laughs> so it's an amazing time to get into it if, you, if, you, if you're thinking about it. Absolutely. So did you... Did you do anything to kind of uh, prepare you for this? Did you tailor your subjects at school? Um, is there anything that you did to sort of prepare you for this this research? Yeah, so it's kind of funny because I really get this question often, and especially on Instagram, a lot of people ask me like, "Do I need to be a, a physics genius? Do I what, what what are the subjects that I really need to study?" And uh, I think the first answer to it is that. Of course, if you if you have the option to study either physics or astronomy at your university or at your high school or whatever at whatever stage you're at, um, of course that's the obvious answer. Definitely go for that because you want to learn about the subject. Um, does it require specific courses like you know like calculus or uh, physics? Of course, some of these things are the fundamentals, right? So, I mean, you need to know like Newton's laws to like sort of understand a little bit about the world around you. Um, but I don't often want to tell people that you really it's it's a fixed path, because the issue with that is that a lot of students get fixated on the path itself. Like I need to do this and this and that to to mm -hmm. get to that level. So instead of what I tell people is that astronomy has become a very multidisciplinary field. So, you know, I have colleagues who are incoming Ph.D. students who were artists, you know, had a little bit of background in math, had maybe a little bit of background in physics as well, have, have done the basics and have brought in a very fresh skill set to the field. You know, these are people who are creatives. These are people who often think outside of the box. So I always tell people really study the subject, you know, learn about astronomy, learn about space, but do what, what inspires you the most. And, you know, if eventually you want to pursue a career in astronomy, those skills will most likely be the most beneficial ones. And is there something uh, within the field of astronomy you really want to focus in on um, and explore further when you, once you get that chance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, once I start my PhD program, I am really excited to uh, get into this field of observational astronomy and sort of the big data science realm. So um, in the next few years, uh, there's going to be many telescopes around the world that are basically surveying the entire night sky. Um, every night, these telescopes are taking images of the night sky. And so we'll have thousands and thousands, and if not millions, billions actually, of images of the night sky. And it's really understanding of 
taking those pictures and what can we extrapolate from our understanding of the universe? And so, for example, we can understand, you know, the asteroids and comets that are inside our solar system. Then we can go further than that. We could say, well, you know, the stars that are in the Milky Way galaxy and or how does the Milky Way galaxy actually evolve? And then we could study things like uh, supernovae and things exploding things in the universe that are that give us hints to how the uh, universe, how the, the matter in the universe came to be and how the, the heavier elements in the universe came to be. Uh-huh. Um, and then you can even go further beyond that. You could say, well, how did the cosmos come to be? This is the field of cosmology. So uh, this is sort of the field of uh, survey astronomy where you know these telescopes are just taking these fantastic images every night and scanning the night sky. Um, so I'm really excited to sort of go into that field. And you know, it's an incredible time once again to sort of look at the intersection between these two fields. So is it fair to say that there'll be a lot of data science involved in, in that kind of realm? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's it's more it's 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 a little bit on the heavier on the data science part, but it's a it's a data scientist with astronomy in mind. So would would that then mean that you're quite excited about the potential of things like AI and quantum computing when looking at all these massive, massive data sets and what that could potentially give you as tools to, to analyze it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think that, I mean, machine learning is absolutely the future in astronomy. And I mean, it's happening as of right now. So right now I work for a uh, a present survey called the ZTF survey. And it's basically this, uh, this telescope, this 48 inch telescope that, you know, scans the night sky and does takes all these pictures. And as of right now, we already have algorithms that run in the back end of this telescope that can tell us if these uh, sources that we're looking at the night sky, if it's a real source or not. Because, of wow. course, when you're dealing with any electronics, you know, there's all sorts of artificial noise that come into the sensors. So uh, these amazing astronomers and software developers have developed these machine learning algorithms to, you know, basically tell us if this source is a real source or if it's not a real source. Um, another recent example that I really loved is that uh, our team was able to discover a comet using machine learning. Um, wow. So it, it's 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 I think it's the very natural path that we have to take as astronomers, because if we really want to probe the universe, if we really want to answer these really deep questions, right, the universe is really, really big. And I think <laughs> people underestimate how big the universe is. So, you know, I always tell like on my Instagram, I'm like, if if every single person on the earth could study like one star in the Milky Way, that still wouldn't be enough to understand the entire <laughs> Milky Way because there's more stars um, than people on this planet. Um, wow. So so machine learning is the way to go because there's so much data and because the universe is so rich in information. So we need to be smart and intentional about how we try to answer these questions. So do you think it's fair to say that possibly in the next 10, 20 years, we'll be able to discover more and analyze more than we ever have done the previous, I don't know, 100 years? Uh-huh, that's a great question. Yeah, I think, I think, I want to say maybe. Um, I think that, of course, as we are progressing in the field, um, the low-hanging fruit will be harder to find because uh, that's that's science, you know. Mm. Um but that doesn't mean that we won't be discovering more. I think it'll be sort of bigger questions that we're going to be trying to answer. Um, but I think that we are still in a stage, I would say for the next at least 20, 30, 50 years, maybe a hundred years, I think we're still at the phase where we're still exploring. 
And that's why I always encourage people if they're you know interested in pursuing observational astronomy, because, you know, it, it's really similar to, you know, going to a brand new city and just walking around and, you know, like, oh, look at that park and look at that tree. And you, you end up discovering all these amazing things about the landscape of that place you're in. And so similar to that, like observational astronomy is very, very similar to that, where you sort of the universe is like it, there's just so much of it that we still haven't explored and understood so it's a it's a great potential for us to really start to understand and so as we have more powerful telescopes and uh, better algorithms and better computing power we'll be able to understand more and more about the universe mm. and discover all these things I love your comment about um, low-hanging fruit there. That always makes me think back to sort of, you know, the early scientists sailing around the world in the 1700s, <laughs> finding yeah. these new animals and, you know, it, wow, <laughs> science, done. <laughs> Very jealous yeah. of those. Uh... I, I, I was going to say, yeah, I wish I was like back in the day. I was like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for, for people thinking of doing this, you know, what is their day-to-day -day going to be like? What kind of tasks are involved in, in this field? Sure. So um, I, I could say more about the observational astronomy and sort of the yeah, sure. the data-ish part of it, um, because I think so there's three main umbrellas. There's, you know, the ones that do the observational part. There's the theoretical astronomers and astrophysicists who, you know, deal with uh, computing and maths. And it's it's a lot more uh, tailored towards like the mathematics of things and the physics. And then you have people who do the instrumentation. And so they are the ones who are basically designing these telescopes and these instruments for us to understand uh, everything. Um, but for me, this is sort of um, a really exciting thing because what it usually involves is like you'll you know you'll wake up and you know if you have like a telescope going on. If so, if you're working for like a survey, an active uh, astronomical survey. Um, you'll usually check to see if like the telescope tick data and usually, you know, we'll have like us, like a, a website where we could check to see if our data is downloaded and, and look at the data. Um, and it's always specifically to what kind of experiments you're what kind of experiments you're doing or sort of answers you're trying to answer. Um, and uh, let's see what else. Uh, there's a lot of coding involved. So usually most of the times we're busy either, you know, writing grants or uh, writing a paper on, you know, something that we're interested in. So right now, for example, I am working on a research paper on supernovae. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah, so it's, it's super exciting. It's a great process. You know, you get to write a lot. You get to do a lot of research, digging through the literature, you know, talking to colleagues around the world about, you know, you know what do they think about the results? Um, so it's a fair amount of coding and sort of doing sort of the conventional like research. As you mentioned coding, um, obviously there's a lot of different languages and, and coding, funnily enough, is uh, a subject that we've had on this podcast recently, software developers. Mm -hmm. Is there a specific language or a few languages that you use regularly that would be a really good skill to, to maybe try and learn? Yeah, I always I always recommend Python. Um, I think that Python has become like the, the community norm in mm. astronomy. Um, I would say it doesn't really matter what, so, I mean, you know, if you and it went to like a research lab and a faculty was like, oh, I want you to do research for me, they wouldn't really like, you know, tell you to like, go learn Python if you knew some other language. Mm -hmm. But I think Python is a great package for astronomy because there's a lot of tools that are built for, uh, in Python that are specifically for astronomy. Mm -hmm. And we kind of we kind of touched on this earlier um, when we talked about, you know, what kind of things can people do to get into it. But personality trait wise, 
are there certain things that you just need to be good at within this field? I assume, you know, analytical, you need to be analytical. Are there any other kind of personality sets or skills that you think really help people in the field? Yeah. Uh, well, my first thought would be uh, if you decide to do observational astronomy, you should definitely be able to to pull an all nighter. Because <laughs> <laughs> when you're when you're on the telescope, you definitely don't want to fall asleep. Uh, when your university is paying a lot of money for you to, <laughs> to, to have access to telescopes. Um, uh, personality wise, I think that, well, of course you wanna be analytical and you wanna be skeptical and you wanna ask a lot of questions. Um, but I think uh, the most important thing is really to just be a, be a thinker and, you know, be a creative thinker. I, I always think of astronomy as a creative thinking task because, you know, going back to that low hanging fruit, you know, a lot of times, like, it's hard to think of, you know, ideas and projects that, you know, are going to be exciting in the future. So, you know, it, it involves a lot of times just sitting down and, and, and really just thinking outside of the box of like, you know, mm. I wonder why is that? Or I wonder if like, this has not been explored yet, or if I did this and that, like, would that result to something? Um, so I think I think that's a, a common trait that most astronomers have is like this 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 curiosity, but yet mm -hmm. it's like this curiosity about thinking outside of the box always of like, mm -hmm. you know, what's the next big thing that we could do? And then what for you has been the biggest positive or the biggest opportunity you've had so far within this field? Uh, oh, that's a great question. I love that. Uh, I would say uh, so. Three years ago, I uh, interned at NASA. Um, and oh, I wow. Worked, yeah. <laughs> so I, I worked there for uh, three months, and I worked with the Kepler Space Telescope. I don't know if you've heard of this telescope. Yes. Um, so I worked with the K2. So Kepler originally was uh, looking at just a single patch of the sky. So this was a space telescope, and it was basically at a fixed position where it was able to look at one patch of the sky for several years. And, you know, Kepler revolutionized our entire idea of exoplanets, and it really gave us a demonstration that how many, how, you know, what's the rich demographics of planets uh, in the universe, in mm. uh, the Milky Way. Um, and then there was this whole thing about their about the gyroscopes of the telescope and so the they couldn't keep the telescope looking at a, a single patch of the sky so it basically had to look at several parts of the night sky uh, and so they they dubbed it as k2 as it coming back um, okay so i worked with the the support office and so i was doing something called support science so and this was this was really exciting because what you get to do is that you don't really specifically work on a, uh, a research question, but instead you're developing software tools and algorithms for astronomers to answer their questions. Oh, wow. So, so for example, someone uh, would want to study uh, uh, galaxies and active galaxies are called AGN, the active galactic nuclei. Um, and so, you know, there's there's several tools that you have to sort of develop to tailor to the data that the telescope was taken um, so that it can speed up their research. You know, it can make their research faster, more effective, because a lot of times with these telescopes, uh, there's there's a lot of little details that come into it that, you know, a lot of astronomers might not know or might need to spend a lot of time learning. So our job was to really develop these tools and the instructions for them to basically make their research faster and more efficient. How cool. Yeah. Um, and then on the flip side of that, what's maybe something less favorable about the industry as a whole? 
Ooh, <laughs> deep. <laughs> um, well, I think that the sad part is that the the funding is yeah. really difficult. And I, I'm sure you've heard of this before, but, uh, you know, of course, we don't expect to be making billions because we could sort of, it's, you can sort of get the landscape of it already of just seeing uh, how the general public thinks about science, right? Mm. Um, so it, if a lot of the funding comes from the government, let's say, um, you can imagine what kind of money we're dealing with. Um, so that often is a bummer because a lot of the grants and stuff that people apply for usually does not get accepted and it's extremely competitive. Mm. Um, but on the flip side, I think that the culture, even though it's very competitive, is a very supportive culture. So, uh, you know, I was telling someone the other day that, you know, if my colleague were to get a grant that I also applied for, I would be equally happy for them you know, and they would be happy for me because at the end of the day, we all know how competitive it is. And we know that, you know, the questions that we're trying to answer are just so big. So it's a very supportive environment to put a, to get a, put a flip on it. So if I could ask you to put yourself in the kind of position where you're looking to, I don't know, hire someone out of university or out of college mm -hmm. or whatever, mm -hmm. what kind of things would make them stand out to you to be like, oh, actually, you know, you'd be a really good fit for this field? Hmm um maybe they've done some experience yeah. <laughs> somewhere or you know they've maybe they've done an extra course maybe they've gone and learned yeah. coding you know, yeah. maybe something like that yeah uh, so i would say that if someone's interviewing for a job in astronomy uh step number one is don't always don't don't start with since i was a child because it turns out that 99.9 percent .9 of everyone who does astronomy uh, somehow it started from childhood <laughs> <laughs> you will definitely not stand out if you say that um i always tell people to really be conscious of so let's say you're applying for uh, a program or a job i always tell them to really intentionally try to think of why is it that you want to become a researcher? Why do you, why is it that you want to become an astronomer? And it's not really think about like, well, yeah, like I, I want to be an explorer. I want to like discover things. I mean, of course you want to discover things. That's why you're going into the field of, you know, astronomy and science. Mm -hmm. um, but instead, I always tell people, think of concrete examples. So for example, uh, if you were applying to a master's program, you say, I want to come to a master's program and I want to, let's say, do research with this professor or this faculty um, because I think that, let's say, the field of exoplanets is fascinating and there's a great opportunity right now for us to learn about the the populations of, of different kinds of exoplanets that are out there. Mm -hmm. And this is a really unique time because, you know, there's this telescope coming and that telescope coming. So what I always say is that you should apply the knowledge that you have. So if you've read like some about like some space telescopes or some papers, use that knowledge to demonstrate to them that you understand it instead of trying to impress them that you are a thinker or like that you're already inspired. Um, it's, it's, it's really easy to fall down this rabbit hole of like, well, you know, like how will they know if I'm passionate about the field? And I always tell people that it's, they'll know that you're passionate just by seeing you talking about the subject and mm -hmm. how you demonstrate your understanding about the subject. Um, and then about specific skills, um, 
you know, it doesn't really matter what skills you have. Like, and as I said, like there have been people that I know that were artists and they managed to get into like PhD programs. Um, it's really showing to them the, the understanding you have about the field and showing that you have original ideas and things that you could possibly think about. So reading an article and sort of expressing like, yeah, like, I read this, I read this paper and I came up, I, you know, I have this idea that, you know, maybe one day I want to try or something like that. Um, mm. That to me shows a lot of passion that shows that, you know, this is a, an original thinker and someone who is ready to work. Amazing. Yeah. And, and for you, what's something that's probably not in your job description, but yet you have to deal with? Something that's in my job description. That, that's that maybe not with. in your job description that you have to deal with. Uh, people. <laughs> yes, that is literally what everybody in science has said. Brilliant answer. Uh, yeah, it's so I think people, and you know, it's it's kind of a bummer because um, <laughs> when you're when you're training to be a scientist, you don't take any classes in management or yeah. Uh, you know, as a as a as a graduate student, you usually take some like you do some TAing, so like like teaching classes and stuff but you know i think that we should really make that an official thing where it's like we should learn how to like do basic management because uh sadly 99 of the drama that comes from any research group is because the higher-ups usually do not know how to deal with people and, and it's like kind of funny because like no one really knows how to deal with people <laughs> so so it's always like, like uh i don't know yeah so very yeah. very true yeah. And and finally, would you still go into this industry knowing everything you know now? Absolutely, I think that um, there's there's definitely no uh, doubt about it. Um, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Think yeah. I mean, it sounds yeah. like you 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 love you love what you do. It's your absolute passion, and um, yeah, it yeah. sounds amazing. Yeah, I mean, the downfalls are always going to be there. I mean, no matter what job you look at whether you have the the most exciting job there are going to be days where there and things that you know all of us could be critical about and say you know i wish it was different but mm. uh, at the end of the day it's always amazing to just think that society trusts us and we have our funding and are able to make a living out of just answering these questions that fulfill such a a deep part of us um so I always get goosebumps just saying that because it's 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 truly amazing when you it's just cool. stop to think about it. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and chat to us, Andy. It's um it's been really good to chat and it's um fascinating field. Wish you all the best yeah. of luck with your uh with your next stages. Yeah, thank you so much. It was a pleasure again being on the show. And where can people find you uh, on maybe social media or anything like that? Yeah. So uh, I usually mainly use my uh, Instagram account, which is Andy T Z A Astro. A S T R O. Um, that's where I post, uh, you know, various uh, things related to astronomy and science communication. Amazing. Thanks again, Andy. Thank you so much.